Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team this is ace cast live your comprehensive look at the oakland athletics watch the left field deep bam going back looking up he will watch it fly and 29 other mlb clubs 2-2 pitch on trout and he blasts one way back goal for yelich cody bellinger hits one out he so he's your home run derby champion Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Piscotti. He swings and he slams one to left high in the air. Deep goes Peralta at the wall, takes a look, and it is gone. Steven Piscotti is first of the year. 1-1, hit high in the air, deep left field. Back on his Peralta, at the track, at the wall, it's gone! Jet Lowry, opposite field, game-tying home run! The Jedi Warrior delivers for the A's and ties the game at five. Here's the 2-2 pitch, and Seth Brown drills it to right, way back, and no doubt, and the A's have taken the lead. A tremendous shot, Seth Brown with his second Major League home run. And the A's have come all the way back and then some as they take a 6-5 lead. Here's the 1-1 pitch now to Calhoun, a swing on the ground, ball to the right side. Brown's got it, goes to second, Chapman back to first, pitcher covering, double play and the ball game is over. And what a way to end it. The A's get a 3-5-1 double play to finish off the game. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, it's been good sledding for your Oakland Athletics. I don't even know where to start. After that brutal start, they're red hot. They have the third longest winning streak behind the Red Sox, who have won nine in a row. Dodgers have won five in a row. Your A's have won four in a row. They've won five out of six. Boy, do we have a great show for you today. How about these names? Jim Leland, the World Series champion. One of the great managers our game has ever seen is going to join us at 4.15. Then our terrific manager, the Bob Melvin Show, will be at 4.30. And then we'll have David Force, the general manager, at 5 o'clock. I think David's going to be a, a, little, a little happier this time when we're doing the David Force Show. But the last four games, it's just been a ton of runs. The A's have scored 29 runs in the last four games. They've hit nine home runs also in those four games, and they have outscored their opponent in the last six games, 35-24. to 24. Things are good for the green and gold. 
And one stat, Commander, that we always have to look at, and it's like the only stat you need to know. If you want to know if the A's are doing well or they're not doing well, there's one stat. Do you know what it is? Uh, if they had a home run or not? The A's are 5-0 and when they out-homer their opponent, and they're 0-7 when they don't. Yeah, I was going to say they're 5-2 and when they hit a home run in a game. So it's impressive to see what the run they've gone on. And you mentioned the Red Sox. They lost earlier, so that nine-game winning streak over. They, they, they played already today? As the Twins walked off in the Twin Cities. Uh, Josh Donaldson returned yesterday, and then, well, he wasn't in the lineup today. So uh, we'll see what's going on there. But, yeah, the, the Red Sox end up losing to the Twins, so the A's have a chance to – Keep this winning streak going against a really hot Detroit Tigers team that just swept the Astros in Houston. Not in Detroit, in Houston. Now, Houston's now dealing with Bregman, Altuve, Maldonado, Alvarez, and one other player that were placed on the COVID-19 restricted list. But still, I mean, Correa was in the lineup. I mean, it wasn't like they were playing with a bunch of nobodies, although Lance McCullough Jr. said he didn't think they should have played the game. Uh, so, I mean, I, I kind of see where he's coming from, where – you know, hockey shuts everything down when, when no, people No, hey, man, you got to play it. That's what the alternate side's for. You play through this. We've already did it. We did it last year. The NFL's done it. The NBA's done it. I mean, it's it's you play on. If you think a guy has it or, poten or, or potentially has it or actually has tested positive, you sit him out. I mean, the Astros have all been – they've all I, – I don't know which vaccine they took, but they've all got at least one shot. So it's, it's so the whole is we're gonna shut this thing down. No, we keep playing. I mean, you have the social uh, unrest in Minnesota. Okay, I can see you know there's a there was a curfew. I mean, I can see them not playing. I understand that. But for COVID, we move on. And yeah, it's kind of you know doing doing the Bible today, getting ready for the game. And I put the standings up, and it's hard to believe the Seattle Mariners right now lead this division. The good thing for the A's. They're only two and a half games back. And as you mentioned, the Tigers come in with a young club, Big Miggy still on the IL. They got they got some young players. They're gaining confidence. But the A's, you take care of your business, and then Monday here come the Minnesota Twins, and the A's are over 500. So I just love the look of what's going on with the A's as they're starting to vibe. The one thing we've talked a lot about the last couple days uh, on the A's clubhouse show, taking phone calls, is just looking at my scorebook, and, and and you just see, Cody, if you look at this, you just see how everybody is contributing. Everybody's getting on base. Everybody's driving in a run or scoring a run. They're doing something. I mean, it's only been a couple games where there's one guy, whether it's been like a Chapman game or a Piscotty game, where they, they didn't really do anything, but everybody else around them, and especially this – three-headed monster called Canna, Loriano, and Lowry, that uh, law firm. Uh, Mark, Mark Canna at leadoff has been fabulous. Ramon Loriano is just showing great athleticism. He's a human highlight reel. And Jed Lowry is arguably maybe Badu here with Detroit. Uh, Akil Badu, the kid that's a Rule 5 pick for Detroit, who's kind of taking the baseball world by storm. Uh, he, he's been a great story. But Jed Lowry, I mean, he's about to be 37. He's got an RBI in each of the last five games, and he's hitting 474, three extra base hits, and 10 RBIs during that span. I mean, are you kidding me? There's no way you could have envisioned that Jed Lowry would be playing, as some people are saying. He's off to a better start than when he was an all-star in 2018. 
uh, early consensus Jed Lowry MVP candidate. I think you have to put him up there. Why wouldn't you? I mean, he's playing his well. Stats, his stats are, you know, and if the A's are going to win and Jed continue, I, I don't, he's not going to continue at this clip, but whether it's comeback player of the year, but I mean, well, if Jed goes on, you know, we've seen him come close to 100 RBIs. I mean, if you got a second baseman on a winning team that's got 100 RBIs, he's got to be in some type of conversation uh, for more than just comeback player of the year. So this is A's cast live from the ballpark as we're watching the A's get ready here for this four-game set against the Detroit Tigers. It's a beautiful day. Hope to see as many of you out here as possibly can. Some stuff around baseball. How about you got the no-no ready? Yeah, give me one second. I got it ready. I got our good friend Jason Benetti's call of it on NBC Sports Chicago. Rodon. To third. Moncada. Carlos Rodon has thrown a no-hitter. After everything he's been through, the elbow and the shoulder were supreme on April 14th, 2021. That sounds like a sold-out crowd. Yeah, on the on the where were they at? Well, uh, were they on the south side? I think they're on the south side of Chicago, not the north side. Yeah, with with that one, that not the east side, not the west side. The south siders the struggling. S- the south side struggling a little bit. Uh, they lost again today, but they won that game yesterday. Now remember, one out in the ninth inning, Rodon had a perfect game going, and then there was the uh, the oh I didn't, I'm not going to get out of the way Perez hit by pitch. And then if you flash back, what, almost, it was over 10 years ago whenever uh, there was the imperfect, perfect game against the Indians with the Tigers. So the Indians have been involved in a lot of uh, controversial stuff uh, in the last 10 years. But Rodon's the first pitcher to throw a no-hitter within two years of having Tommy John surgery. He had it in May of 2019. It's the 20th no-hitter in White Sox history. Only one franchise has more. Do you know who it is? The Oakland A's. No. Unfortunately, <laughs> I did put together this is shameless. Oh, up. Uh, um, Dodgers. The Dodgers have 23. I, now, shameless up promotion for fans that want to see it. I put it up on Twitter last night. I created the reel of every no hitter that they have video of on MLB Film Room. So you got Mike Warren's, you got Dave Stewart's, Dallas's perfect game, Sean Mania, Mike Fires. Sorry, Vida and the bullpens combined no hitter 1975. Catfish's that, perfect game. That doesn't count. They weren't – well, I'm saying they, they, there was no footage of those. And Vida's no-hitter that he threw in the 1970. Sorry, there was no footage of those no-hitters. But starting with Mike Warren's, I have going up. So, if anyone wants to check Se- that out. Self-promotion? Shameless self-promotion. Yeah, yeah thank you. That's, that's Commander Cody, by the way. Everybody, everybody loves a no-hitter. So, Car- uh, congrats to Carlos Rodon. That's two we've seen this year already. Well, I mean, when you got a bunch of people who don't make contact, you know, you sent me an article today. It was fascinating where they're saying that opportunities for certain infield positions are so down because of three true outcomes, home run, walk, or strikeout. So they're saying, do you, and with all the shifting, do you have to have the most athletic shortstop? Because the shortstop position is not getting grounders like it used to. I mean, every single time, if you watch the A's who are shifting more than anybody – Elvis Andrus is playing in right field. He's playing to the – if you're looking out to the pitcher's mound, he's playing on the right side of the infield every single time a lefty comes up. So, 
But when he's at shortstop, the percentages are showing. In that article, where they start? Like 2005 or whatever? Yeah, it was 2005 they were talking about. They were going. I mean, you can go back a, a long way talking about the, the differences. But the, the article is based about around Eugenio Suarez, the former third baseman of the Reds, the guy that hit 49 home runs a few years ago. Uh, he's playing shortstop for the for Cincinnati right now because they feel that they can have him, you know, adequately fill the position. Oh, they already has four errors this year playing shortstop because uh, they want to put Mustakis back at third, his natural position. Remember with the Brewers and with the Reds, he's playing second base. So out of all the defensive positions over the years, the only one that's been steadily the same has been third base. So you want to have probably your best defender like Matt Chapman playing third, Mustakis playing third for the Reds, Arnado playing third for the the I must said Rockies the. St. Louis Cardinals, you're not going to put your weakest defender at third base. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're not going to see Jerkson, Jerkson Profar play third That's base. That's not true. That is not true. The world champions. Think about that. They talk about Justin Turner's not a good def- He's not a good defender. He plays third, but they shift so much, he's playing on the right side a ton. And shifting has protected some infielders that are not great, that are really just there for their bats. But the point of the article, which what's sad, and kind of the state of our game, is where they're saying there's not a lot of balls put in play, so it's not going to hurt you not having the most athletic shortstop. Uh, I can't wait to ask David Forst about that today. I would have I asked Bob Melvin, but, of course, as if you follow this show, Melvin um, Melvin's an early riser, and Melvin likes to get uh, his business cleared very early in the morning, so... Uh, it's bra- It's really breakfast with Bob for you and me. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it seems like we got to have a running joke. Who gets to the ballpark earlier, me or Bob? It seems like because we were both here at the same time when we were taping the interview, and it's like, well, it's like it, we're looking at it, it's like, well, it's ten thirty, and here we are talking to Bob. Well, the day after opening day, he wanted to do it at what was it, eight a.m. Something like that, yeah. Eight a.m. I'm like, Bob, I didn't get out of here till twelve thirty, but we got us so early riser, Bob Melvin. So I wasn't able to ask him that. But I can't wait to ask David Forrest about that because, you know, obviously David believes in the shift. The A's are shifting more than any team in baseball. What are they up to now? They're at 64.3%. Uh, the, Detroit's actually fourth on the list. They shift 45.2% of the time. So, And that – okay, so who was I watching? I had a hard time watching FS1, by the way, the national game. Uh, who, who was the play-by-play guy? I know Przinski was the analyst. I, I, am, I couldn't. I couldn't figure I am, out who the play-by-play guy is. They, they wouldn't say his name. AJ. AJ is a load. I used to have to deal with AJ Przinski when he was with the Giants, and um, I, I, one inning, and all of a sudden, I flipped over to our good friend Jeff Blum, and I started watching the. I had to watch on my computer. I was watching the Astros broadcast, so it, it was either on FS1. Or it was uh, on the Astros broadcast. I sent the screenshot for you to you, because like on Saturday the A's were up to like seventy percent yeah. shifting. So I guess over the last couple of days the percentage has gone down. But my God, sixty. So so if you're shifting, your middle infielders, how much are they actually playing a standard shortstop or second base? I mean, how many times like if you listen to the start of the show. You played the clip of the game-ending 3-5-1 double play. I want you to think about that. Because two games ago against the Astros, no, three games ago, we had a 1-5-3 double play. So 
pitcher to the third baseman to first base. Well, our third baseman is Matt Chapman. He's playing shortstop, but we still have to call it 1-5-3. Then later in the game, how about this one? 5-6-3. Third baseman to shortstop. I mean, but Elvis wasn't playing short. He was playing like a deep up the middle second base. So I, I think the article is pretty fascinating. If, the, if they're not going to ban shifting and everything's about offense, shifting kind of allows you to hide somebody. I mean, think about Jed Lowry. I mean, Jed Lowry is going to be always in a situation where if there's a left-hander up, there's going to be three guys playing on the right side so you don't have to have that much range. So Jed's playing more kind of an up-the-middle second base. Elvis is doing what Marcus Simeon did, was you're playing Rover in shallow right field, and then you got Matt Olson. So baseball isn't changing, and until they get rid of shifting, it is what it is. Well, earlier today, we were able to catch up. He's one of my favorites. He's a World Series champion. He's a three-time manager of the year. You think about his career. I mean, Jim Leland, he's a special assistant to the Detroit, uh, the Detroit Tigers. He's 76 years old. And, Cody, whenever you get him, it's like, you know, you're talking to one of the, one of the brightest minds, buddies with Tony La Russa. But you just think about what, what he did in his career and the battles, you know, we had with them in 2012 and 2013, the Tigers led by Jim Leland. Uh, smoking Jim as we – as uh, Pirate fans like to call him, old Jim Leland, smoking Jim. Uh, you're right. Anytime we can get him, I, I love being able to interact with Jim. And I, I told you after we talked to him, he sent me an emoji. 76 years old, I'm getting emojis sent. Ray Fossey doesn't even send me emojis. <laughs> but Jim Leland will send me a, a, a sense emoji. So it was really cool to see that. I'm glad to get Jim anytime we can get him on. Oh, man. He used to wear spikes. He's smoking in the dugout with a cup of coffee. That's when men were men yeah. in baseball. Remember when he cursed out Barry Bonds and everyone's oh, like, yeah. you couldn't do that in baseball right now. <laughs> he lit up Barry Bonds at spring training. And him and Bonds uh, are still tight to this day, but somebody had to stand up to Barry. Really, the only man ever in baseball. That's a great Jim Leland. Here is my conversation with the World Series champion. He's a World Series champion. He's a three-time manager of the year. He's one of the best managers we've ever seen in the game of baseball. Jim Leland is with us once again. Jim, how are you? Well, I'm doing great. How about you? Uh, well, you know, the A's got off to a slow start and got hot. So, it, it, you know, you start out 0-6, Jim, people start to panic. Well, I'm sure they do, but they got a pretty good track record there, and they got one of the best managers in the game, so... Uh, you know, things will work out for them. They'll get things straightened out. They've been playing better. And, uh, you know, it's a long season. Hopefully it's going to be a real long season this year that we'll get the full complement of 162. Yeah, you know, speaking of, of Bob Melvin, we've been talking about this a lot, and, and you can go back to your days as a manager. You know, when you have Billy Bean that's been here for so long and David Force with him, our general manager, and now Bob is the longest tenured manager with one team, just talk about how continuity allows this team year in, year out to keep winning. Well, I think that's a great point. They obviously have a good communication. They've, they've been a good team for a long time. I think there's a certain understanding there of, that, that they have, and they go out and get the, the right player. They plug in the right player at the right time. Uh, bringing up guys from their system, and uh, they know how to make the move at the right time. They've done that very well, and 
in my opinion, nobody does it better on the field than Bob Melvin. Yeah, and he's just a super guy and a great communicator. How about though Detroit? Are 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 you got you got to be pleased to be five hundred and have the weekend you just had in Houston? Yeah, I'm I'm really happy about so far the way things have started. I know AJ has to be. You know, we we uh, everybody says, well, you know, it's early and you know, they play, but you know, actually, we've played Cleveland, uh, Minnesota, Houston. I mean, those are all good teams and supposed to be good teams for sure. So it's not like we've had any uh, easy type schedule. Uh, we just went into Houston and won three straight. So after losing three straight in Cleveland, so uh, the Tigers are playing good. They're a different looking group. Uh, there's a little more <clears throat> seniority in the lineup at times. Uh, and not that they're that old, but you get a guy like Nunez to come in and hit a couple home runs and you got Ramos catching. He's hit, he was leading the league in home runs till a day ago, I think. So, you know, there's a little more veteran presence. Mazzaro now is over there. And I think it's uh, solidified their team a little bit with some very, very good young pitching. Well, I'll tell you what, this Akil Badu kid, being a, a Rule 5 pick, never playing above A ball, I mean, he's one of the best stories we've seen in a long time. How much fun has been watching him in this opposite field power that he has? Well, it's been great. You know, in spring training, when they were talking about him and, you know, talking about, you know, make the club, don't make the club. We kept watching him. He kept, you know, he kept doing something every day to earn his spot on the roster, which he obviously did. But the thing I noticed is when they asked me about him in spring training, I said the thing that's impressed me the most at that time, I think we were probably two and a half, three weeks into spring training. He's only swung on one bad pitch in spring training. He swung in a high fastball and breaking it against the Pirates. That's the only bad pitch he really swung at spring training. That's awful good discipline for a kid that never played higher than A-ball. <laughs> Actually, it's good discipline for anybody. So uh, that's the thing that really impressed me. He really tracks the ball well. Uh, he doesn't swing in a lot of a lot of bad pitches, obviously. And that's one of the reasons I felt like, you know, he's got a chance, uh, you know, to do something. Not thinking that he'd play that much. And obviously, I never predicted that he would do something like he's done. That would be foolish. But, uh, you know, he's he, he's a keeper. He's a He's a rule five that certainly is worth keeping, and he's he's earning his keep right now, and, and we'll see how it plays out the rest of the year. You know, what's amazing about that, Jim, is, you know, it's not like they had a minor league season last year. I mean, the fact that he's never played above A ball and basically lost a year, and he's now in the big leagues, I don't know if we, we – I mean, obviously we've never played through a pandemic like they did last year, but, I mean, to think that hasn't had a whole lot of time in the last, I don't know, year and a half – and the way he's competing at the big league level is just, it's insane. You know, so far, you know, it's been one of the great stories of good scouting and good reporting. I'm sure analytic people were involved in it too, but it's good scouting that goes back to when this kid was a high pick. Uh, at one time, I think he was number two pick in Minnesota. He was a high school kid. It wasn't really uh, as big and strong as he is now. He's really grown up and it's just a good job of scouting. And they, uh, they recommended it, and Alavila went through with it and took a chance, and certainly so far so good, more than good so far. What have you thought so far about the, these young pitch, these young pitchers? We just got to see Casey Mize. I mean, these are guys that we've been hearing about for for a few years, knowing that at some point they were going to come up and help the big club. Yeah, they're still a little rough around the edges, don't get me wrong, but I think Chris Fetter's doing it, our new pitching coach, is doing a good job with them. Uh, you know, you, you got to baby those young starters along. you got to, you know, get them in, get them out little success, get them out, you know, a little more success, keep them in a little longer. You know, it's, it's, 
you, you just have to mature those kids. And there's going to be some bumps and bruises yet, but they're the real deals. And at some point, they're going to turn into really good major league pitchers. And we just hope it's, it's you know, sooner rather than later. How much easier is it for you to be a special assistant versus being the manager? Well, I love being a manager. I mean, you know, age caught up with me, but I love being a manager because you're you're in the action all the time, you know. And, yeah. and as, a, as a special assistant, you it's it's action, but it's a different type of action. So uh, I love doing it. I go to spring training, I watch all the games, and evaluate and give my opinion if I'm asked. Uh, but I stay out of the way. We have an outstanding manager in AJ Hinch, and uh, he ran a really, really, really good spring training camp. I was very impressed with it. So. Uh, you know, I spent some time obviously talking to Al Avila and we talk a lot of baseball and, uh, you know, I give my opinion if I'm asked, but for the most part, I stay out of the way unless I'm asked. Well, so I think it's great for someone like you who's been in this professional baseball for so long. It, 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 it keeps you in the game, the game that you love. Yeah, it, it does. I, I actually love it. I'm actually going to Toledo on Tuesday to, to our alternate site and I'm going to watch uh, four games against the Pirates AAA team. You know, the season hasn't started yet, but they have some games uh, prior to the season starting. So I'm going up to look at the guys at the alternate site for four straight days, and I'll report to Al, you know, what I see. And, you know, you know if they need somebody, maybe recommend to call somebody up that looks good or whatever. And so, you know, it's good. And I go to Erie and Toledo during the season, watch our AA and AAA club. So, you know, it, it keeps you going a little bit, but it's not, you know, it's not that hectic pace that you had when you were a manager. Well, how do you feel about your old buddy Tony Larusa being back with the Chicago White Sox? Well, I think it's great. I mean, you know, we we both kind of done some work for the commissioner, and then he he worked for a couple of teams, but he 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 wanted to be in on the action. I mean, he just he just felt like sitting up there was watching. It was just you know too much for him. He he just was so used to being in the dugout and being involved in decisions and everything that you know he, that's that's what he wants to do. I'm more than happy for him. I mean, we're the same age. I think Tony's a month or so older than I am. So, you know, he's got a lot of energy, as I do, but I don't have the energy to travel around all that pace anymore. Tony does, and he's really into it. They're struggling a little bit. They're around 500. I just watched their game. They got beat today. But, uh, yeah, he loves it. I think it's great. I think it's great for baseball, and he's a trooper, and the White Sox are going to get everything he's got. There's no question about it. You know, we've had Tony on quite a bit on the show, obviously with his connection with the A's. And when people are saying, I don't know if this is going to be a good move. I don't know if he's going to be able to handle these young players. And I always said, Jim, I said, for God's sakes, this guy's managed some of the biggest egos from Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, Dave Parker, Dennis Eckersley, you know, McGuire, Poolholes. I, I, I thought it was ridiculous when, when people thought he wouldn't be able to, 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 to communicate with this generation's players. Well, I agree with you 100%. I, you know, that, uh, if I was managing today, that would not be a problem for me. It's just dealing with people. You treat people like they're supposed to be treated. You have a good relationship with people. Uh, I think I think young players like discipline, to be honest with you. I think they search for it. I think they actually want it, although sometimes the Eagles maybe not let them, let them admit that. But I, I think it's going to be great. I mean, what's, what is it getting along with people? I don't, I don't understand where the age factor has anything to do with that. And uh, Tony's going to handle these guys as good as anybody. You know, if the commissioner's office called you and said, Jim – how do we get more balls in play? Because the three true outcomes, home run, strikeout, and walks, it's up again at a record pace. And there's so many balls not being put in play. we got a ton of shifting going on. 
So if the commissioner called you and said, how do we speed this game up and make this game more entertaining? What, what, what would you say? Well, <clears throat> I would say this. I would say two things. I would say that, first of all, it's not the pitchers normally that slow the game down. It's the hitters. The first thing I would do is say, get the hitters in the batter's box and enforce it. In other words, you hit a ground ball to shortstop. The guy's in the on-deck circle. Why isn't he walking the home plate? Something's going to happen. He's over there taking the donut off, pounding the bat, can't get the donut off, waiting for their walk-up music. It takes a lot of time. You hit a pop-up to the infield. Why is the hit next hitter not walking the home plate? That would speed up the game more than anything. It's so simple, in my opinion. That's one thing that would speed up the game. You know, the other thing is, I believe, personally, that in every lineup in the big leagues, there's several guys. I'm not talking about the real big boys, the real great hitters. I'm not talking about them. But in every lineup, there's a number of players that with runners in scoring position in third base and less than two outs, they need to go into a two-strike approach from the first pitch on, not wait till they get two strikes. In fact, a lot of these modern hitting stuff doesn't belong in it, doesn't believe in a two-strike approach. I totally disagree with that. They need to go in a two-strike approach from the first pitch on to make sure they put the ball in play. How many times have you seen the infield back, the guy strikes out, where a ground ball in the second inning, which could be a big run later on, he strikes out instead of hitting the ground ball to short and getting thrown out of first, but the run trots home. Or a sacrifice fly. I mean, to me, it, it's, it, it's a simple tactic that should be used. I know a lot of the new thinking on hitting. Uh, they don't really believe in that. Well, I totally disagree with well, I think I, everybody should have most guys. What? Yeah, you're, you're dead I'm on. Sorry? You're dead on. And I and I was, I, you know, during COVID, we we're watching all these classic games. And I remember watching the Bucky Dent game. And here Reggie Jackson with the Yankees steps up. I mean, obviously one of the great power hitters of his time. And he was still hitting. He struck out a ton, but he was still hitting around 280. And I watched in that game. He got two strikes. Even Reggie Jackson choked up and had a two-strike approach. I'm not saying exactly what the two-strike two approach should be for the hitter. I'm not telling them what they have to do, but they all need to have something. Whatever their two-strike approach is, it should be, whether they spread out a little bit, whether they choke up, whatever it is they want to do, that's that's their business. But everybody, in my opinion, most guys should have one. You know, if, arguably, Barry Vaughn has hit more home runs than anybody. He, so choking up has nothing to do with the power, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. So I just think that – I think there's too many guys – that aren't capable of hitting home runs that are trying to hit them. And they're swinging out of their tail on the first pitch on. They're swinging the sliders off the plate. They're not controlling the strike zone at all. And they're swinging at bad balls. And if you look at most strikeouts, the hitter swung at least one bad pitch, in a lot of cases, two. That's just the way it is. I watch game after game, night after night. I know the Tigers a couple years ago, we swung out of the strike zone more than any team in baseball. And we struck out. And... So I think there is something you can do about it. I'm not arguing with the new theories about hitting. I, I'm not a hitting guy. I don't know much about hitting. But I do know something about results. And when I see general managers up there pounding their fists because the guy's on third and the guy strikes out and they didn't get an easy run home, they're upset about it. But we don't really do a lot about it. So I, I think shame on us. I mean, I, I, I really truly believe that that's a way to put more balls in play and it's a, it's it's, it's a better way to win games. It's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is always an honor to have you on the program. Best of luck to wrestle away with the Tigers. Be safe, be well, and let's talk later on in the season. All right. Thank you for having me. The great Jim Leland. I mean, 
you get a chance that guy at some point will get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's had a nice little career, as they would say. Yeah, he's yeah. only he's only won a World Series. Uh, you know, he's taken numerous teams to the World Series, and you know, Tigers being there twice. He did, had a nice little run with the Pirates. Took that Marlins team to win the World Series. Sid so. Bream, don't make me bring up Sid Bream. I was having a good day. <laughs> I was three years old anyway. So Sid Bream, you can't throw out Sid Breenberry Bonds. Are you kidding me? For, for, from one great manager to another. Up next, you only get him here exclusively on A's Cast Live and A's Cast. It's the Bob Melvin Show. Next. A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. It's time now for the Bob Melvin Show, brought to you by Nest Betting. You can check out their locations in the Bay Area, or you go to nestbetting.com. Use the coupon code Oakland, and you get 10% off your entire order. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbetting.com. Bob, uh, things are a lot better since the last time we talked. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah, we, we get off to a little bit of a slow start, and then, you know what, we're, we're playing a lot better now. So we're playing the type of games the tape type of style of games I think that that uh, we kind of excel in or when we're playing our best that's what we do so yeah we've strung some wins together had a good series in Houston and then followed it up in Arizona you know the one thing I've really been noticing is how it's the entire roster that's contributing like if you I talk about like keeping score for the games you see that your entire lineup everybody's getting on base everybody's scoring Everybody's starting to hit with runners in scoring position. It's just not a couple guys. It's it, it's your entire roster that you're putting out there. Talk about how like it's like it's been like a total team effort. It really has, including everybody in the bullpen, including everybody in the rotation. It it really has. There hasn't been anybody that hasn't uh, contributed. So, you know, that's a good feeling. That makes everybody feel a part of it. Uh, you know, it's 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 not just two or three guys that are carrying the load. Uh, we need the entire roster, and and like I said, it, it makes everybody feel like they're a big part of things. I don't know if you've ever seen this in your career, and you've been in baseball a long time, and I've talked to Ray Fossey about this, and God knows he's been in baseball forever. But to watch a guy not play for basically two years, have only seven at-bats, not play, be injured, and come back and look like nothing's changed, I, I, what has that been like for you with Jed Lowry? It's like, it's, you know, it's like going back in time and, and kind of surreal to the extent that, you know, I was a little skeptical at first. And then I was watching his, his at bats during the sim games and early in spring training and they looked the same. Um, then you follow up into games and spring training, same thing again. And now, man, where would be, we'd be without him at this point. He's hitting, you know, second or third every day in our lineup. And, and those were the spots he hit in when he was here a couple of years ago. So, yeah, back to the future for sure. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, back in the day, as much as the lineup changes every day, Jed Lowry always hit third for you. And now we're starting to see that again. As you mentioned, second, but uh, he's been in the three-hole a lot too. I mean, it's crazy. What's it like for you? You're writing that in every day. <laughs> You're putting him in. It's like, it's it's unbelievable. It is, and I feel like following it up with Cespedes and Moss, and you know, obviously I'm not doing that, but you know, when when you wrote down Lowry years ago, it was followed up by those names, and and so your pen kind of wants to go there, but 
you know, now it's Olsen and Chapman and a little different group. But, uh, yeah, the mainstay here is it continues to be Jed even after, you know, two years uh, away. You know, watching your ball club steal all these bases and being successful at it, um, you know, we haven't seen that in a while. And obviously the three true outcomes have been such a big deal in baseball, home run, strikeout, or walk. Um What's that been like for your ball club? You're showing a lot of athleticism and you're stealing a lot of bags. Yeah, we are. I mean, it's basically one guy. And Loriano, I think, has got eight of the ten. But, uh, you know, Canna's got one and kind of drawn a blank on uh, maybe Tony Kemp has one, I believe. So, yeah, you know what? We're trying to be opportunistic. And, and Ramon definitely is at this point. And, you know, even stole a big base the other day when when they knew he was trying to go. So that's that's the real true stolen base guys are. You know, like Ricky was. He was out there. Everybody knew he was going to steal. Everybody was slide stepping, pitching out from time to time, throwing over a bunch, and still still steals the base. So it's just kind of where Ramon is right now. We certainly have to keep him healthy. He's had some injuries over the years, but you know he's been in some good spots to be able to steal some bases, and so far so good. Well, and the bizarre one was in the ninth inning where he clearly got picked off. Uh, did you understand that Arizona did not – they didn't get the uh, challenge in within 20 seconds? What was that like from your guys' perspective? Yeah, that's what I think it was because that's what I was standing out there waiting to object if, if uh, you know, they did let them uh, – allow them to, to go to replay. So, yeah, it was a long time before – something was noticed there and you know thank goodness uh you know we've we've had our challenges with replay hopefully we we caught a break on that one you know you normally don't win a game when your starter only goes two and two thirds and I know you don't want to go pull him he's a young guy he's trying to learn but uh you had to go out and you had to pull Jesus Lazardo. what are you seeing from him early on this season you know, we've seen some bright spots and we've seen some tough innings. It's the big inning that's really getting him right now. You know, he starts out well and then gets a couple guys on and, and throws Kelly a breaking ball that comes to him, kind of sped him up a little bit. And, you know, all of a sudden there's three runs on the board. So it's trying to limit that damage. It's okay every now and then to give up some homers. Uh, Kurt Schilling used to always say, you know, you can give up some homers as long as they're solos. But his tend to be right now with, with some guys on base. And it's either bad pitch selection or just not executing a pitch at, at a certain time. So, you know, we continually go over after games, you know, what we think is best, uh, you know, is, is best pitches are on a particular day and, and what to use in certain situations. Uh, still kind of working through some things, but we still feel really good about him when he takes the mound. Uh, just been a little inconsistent to this point. How refreshing was it in Houston, from your standpoint, especially as a former catcher, to watch Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya use their fastball and just go out and challenge the Astros with, with the best pitch there is in baseball? That's still number one. Right, and that's, you know, probably got away from that a little bit with both these guys early on, and, and it seemed like... Uh, you know, we'd either get behind or maybe they were sitting on it and we had to do make some adjustments. And, and we did. And in Frankie's case, I think he threw, it felt like 20, 20 some fastballs in a row to start the game. And the first three to Altuve were inside and Altuve had just been wearing us out on balls out over the plate. So, you know, just trying to make that adjustment and then you know, started using his breaking ball a little bit more as the game went along, cleared some room outside, 
uh, you know, for that with pitching in so much. So, you know, it was effective for those two games for sure. You came up with the Detroit Tigers, and you came up with the Tigers at an interesting time. They had just won the World Series in 1984. They were they got off to one of the greatest starts in the history of baseball. I think it was like 35 and th- and five, and and they just breezed through the postseason, beat the Padres in the World Series. What was that like then coming up with all the, I mean, you had Hall of Famers, you had great players, you had Sparky Anderson was your manager. What was that like? Well, that was an unbelievable team to be able to come up with and and get get a start. You know, my first start was in Seattle behind the plate, and you know, Kirk Gibson's in 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 right, and Larry Herndon left, Chet Lemon, Sam, or Trammell, Whitaker, the whole team. It's just you know it's such a great feeling to be able to break in with those guys, and I was able because I came up through the system to really watch these guys and 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 see how they went about their business and and got to know them some in spring training and years previous to that so they made things really comfortable for me Lance Parrish was was a great resource for me and really kind of took me under his wing as well as as Kirk Gibson did so it just felt comfortable there uh but you know Sparky Anderson's a legend and you know the back in those days the only conversations I ever had with Sparky is if he started one so I I was too nervous to go up and talk to him but that's just the kind of team it was and, and, and benefited so much by, by watching these guys prepare and Alan Trammell in particular, how he prepared and went about his business. And, and I still take a lot of those things into, you know, who I am today. Well, I, I got to think you, you, you probably are, are a little bit of a com- better communicator than Sparky Anderson was back in the day to rookies. Well, it, it wasn't really what, what managers did by then. You earned your respect and you earned your stripes. So, um, you know, actually when I was in the minor league, Sparky would come over and talk to me and come over to minor league camp because I was one of the bigger prospects. And then once I got to the big league level, it was a little different. You, you know, you got to earn your stripes and, and get to know him. And he had great relationships with others. I wouldn't say I was his best friend. He wasn't look to, looking to room with me on the road or anything like that. So, um, But then after that, when I established myself as a big leaguer, we had some great conversations. So well, what a terrific manager and what a, what a character as well. You know, you go into Arizona and you take two games and I know the Diamondbacks mean a lot to you. And, you know, we played on A's cast and A's cast live. Uh, Mark Grace coming on your zoom call. I mean, that group, it was really special. It's, it's really one of the great world series teams uh, to take down the New York Yankees. who are trying to make it four in a row. You know, we always talk about how you, you had such great success against Randy Johnson, but that group is, is a special group. So I, and I know during the COVID, like how when, when we were celebrating the 70s teams and the 1989 team, they were doing the same thing in Arizona during that break before you went to Specta, what we called summer school. Uh, you guys were celebrating the 01 team. What's it like for you when you go back to Arizona? Oh, it's, those guys are so important. You know, they've, everybody stayed close on that team, myself and Bob Brenly. Uh, but not only that, you know, we were kind of a young coaching staff and it was a veteran team. So we all felt like, we really didn't feel like coaches with that team. We just felt like we were just part of a group. And every single guy on that team across the board was a veteran guy who had one, one thought in mind that year, and that was to win a World Series. You know, everybody got together, the Graces, the Williamses, the Johnsons, the Schillings, the uh, Steve Finley's, the Reggie Sanders, the, it's just it's a veteran Tony Womack, a veteran group that really, really had one goal, 
and that was to get everybody together and win a World Series that year, and we did it. So it's a special bond. A lot of those guys still live in Arizona. We're all we're all still in contact with each other. Obviously, Gracie and I play a little golf together, and uh, it, it just was a really neat group that you don't really see stay as close over the years, and it's been 20 years now, um, you know, and, and we still all have that bond. And people, if if you di- if you don't remember or you didn't watch it, that was one of the most wild World Series. You talk about an, a, a roller coaster ride down to the very end where, and we've had Luis Gonzalez uh, uh, on the program, and you go, you know, it wasn't the hardest hit ball, but it's one of the greatest hits of all time. Just talk about the emotions of that World Series because it was crazy. It was crazy. And, and I, you know, I, I didn't even mention Craig Council and, and Luis Gonzalez on that team. Yeah, you know, we, we, we go into to New York up 2-0, and played three of the craziest games I've ever seen in my life. When they talk about ghosts in, in old Yankee Stadium, they definitely showed up for those games. The the second home run off Young Young Kim that, that Brocious hit, I, it really felt like that place could come crumbling down. It was so electric, and it was right after 9-11 and all that, so there was just so much emotion there. And then we come home and play the ultimate game in Game 7, which is the way that, that series should have ended. Uh, you know, with the last pitch and walk off and all that. And Gonzo, uh, you know, told me that that's the first time all year that he choked up. And, and, you know, in that position, all he's trying to do is put a ball in play and certainly did it. And, they, you know, all he was trying to do is, is get one, you know, over the infield's head. And, and that's what he did and ended up being just an histor- historic World Series and, and one that was really, really fun to watch and be a part of. And you and Mark Grace, as a team, have never lost in golf. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's probably like five or six and zero. Oh. Uh, we've we've taken on some pretty decent players at times, but we find a way to ham and egg it a little bit. It's not like we're the greatest golfers in the world, but seem to be able to find a way to to get a W at the end of the day. Why do I think playing eighteen holes with him would be a blast? A blast! Oh my God! It's 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 you know you 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 something you'll never forget. He he tends to to talk some. He's really funny. He's not afraid to 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 rib other guys. He's not afraid to put screws to you a little bit on the tee box. And he's just a lot of fun to play with. As as he was a lot of fun to be a teammate of. Well, you guys have won. You're you're, you're got a winning streak. You've won four in a row. You won five of six. By the way, during that winning streak. Uh, you've scored 29 runs, so it's like Stella's got her groove back. So it's great to see, and good luck against the Tigers, and we'll talk to you next week. You got it, and be nice to win some games at home here for our fans as well. That's the Bob Melvin Show brought to you by Nest Betting. Check out their locations in the Bay Area, or you can shop online, nestbetting.com. Love where you sleep. Yes, the same mattress Ricky Henderson sleeps on. When you go to Nest Bedding or you go into one of their stores, use the coupon code Oakland to get 10% off your entire order. That's nestbedding.com. Well, there you have it, the Bob Melvin Show. I'll tell you something that's pretty funny. When Bob did a Zoom call and Mark Grace stepped in there and Grace started talking about how Bob and Mark play golf together and they're undefeated as a team. And well, King Korak and Kurt Young, he says, he says, we'll take him on. <laughs> Former A's legend, Kurt Young, now with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, yeah, I guess he's really good stick. Wouldn't that be great to follow around Ken Korak, Kurt Young, 
Bob Melvin and Mark Grace. That'd be a fearsome foursome of golfers, for sure. As someone who doesn't golf, uh, I'd love to watch. I'd love to watch that match. Ta- move over, uh, Tiger, uh, Phil, uh, Steph Curry, Tom Brady, whoever, all the guys that's on the match. That's the match we want to see. Those four guys go at it for charity. Well, this is always a special day in baseball when we honor Jackie Robinson, and Jackie Robinson was so influential. It was more than baseball. I highly recommend that everybody, if you ever get a chance to go to Kansas City, that you go to the Negro League Museum. It's basically in the same facility as the Jazz Museum. I recommend those both. It's like $15 to get into both. And then the World War I Museum there in Kansas City is amazing. But Jackie Robinson, you realize when he integrated baseball, it changed society. The military wasn't even integrated at that point. It was like two years later after Jackie Robinson that the the military started allowing African Americans and people of color to start being in the military with white soldiers. I mean, Jackie Robinson had such great influence on society, it was more than just baseball. And I will do my what makes me mad about this day. What makes me mad, I think it's wonderful everybody wears number 42. It makes all these young players understand what baseball's history is so they know Jackie Robinson. But the problem is Major League Baseball is so lazy, they basically have just said, you know what, we're going to have Jackie Robinson. It's going to be one day. We're going we're gonna to retire his number. No one ever can wear it again, and we'll have one day to honor him. Well, what about the other guys? I mean, I bet you if I went down right now, if we were allowed on the field, and I said, well, do you know there's a guy that did this right after Jackie, but it was in the American League. This guy is a World Series champion, a seven-time All-Star, a two-time American League home run leader. He's led the American League in RBIs. His number 14 is retired by the Cleveland Indians. He's in the Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame. And in 1998, he was voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. He also was a manager. And if I went down and asked these guys, who is that man? I bet none of them would know. I bet you if I went up to a bunch of these guys and I said, do you know who Larry Doby is? I mean, I just told – I mean – those are some damn good stats, man. You're your World Series champion. You're a seven-time All-Star. And he integrated the American League, breaking the color barrier, the first black player in the American League. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. It was three months after Jackie Robinson. And we don't talk about this guy. I think it's a crime. And when you go to the Negro League Museum and you see how many great players there were, Josh Gibson, Satchel Page, all these guys, but all we honor is one guy. We should honor Jackie Robinson. But we should take time to honor the other guys, especially the guy, Larry Doby, who did it in the American League three months later. We act like Jackie Robinson was the only guy for a long time. And that's not true. Yeah, I, 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 made, a, I, made, I made the comment essay that I knew you were going to bring up Larry Doby, but it's a good case because you're right, there's more than just one guy, and what Larry Doby was able to do in the American League is uh, – it's huge, and you're right. I bet you 
a lot of people would have no idea. I, I didn't know any, about it until a couple of years ago, honestly, because I always just knew about Jackie Robinson. Like, I, I mean, like, I've heard, obviously, I knew about Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson and guys like that, but, like, I didn't know about Larry Doe being the first African-American, you know, to pretty much break through in the – well, to break through in the American League. So to tell the, the stories of just him and others, I mean, look how many great players – we brought this up before. Look how many great players just come from the – that little, the one of the towns in Alabama, where you never, where you never think like it's like Willie Mays, like all these guys that come from this small town in Alabama. Like there, there are so many players that we need to, to highlight more. And Jackie Robinson Day is special, and we, you know, 50 years after he broke the color barrier, that Major League Baseball retired his number. And what the last player to wear his number was was obviously Mario Rivera. Do you know who the last A to wear number 42 was? Uh, let me think. Just off the top of my head, Buddy Groom. Wow, that's a good pull. <laughs> that is a great pull. They did an article on MLB.com just talking about, like, the last the last players were the iconic number 42. Like, for example, the last number 42 for the Angels was the great Mo Vaughn. Uh, let's, let's just go through this list quickly. Uh, names we can think of. People, players might know. Mo Vaughn was the last Mets player or number 42. Um, but Marion Rivera was the last guy, right? Yeah, yeah, like because he he had the well, he had it before they were they yeah, retired. oh yeah, so yeah, and I mean it's Mariano Rivera, he's the greatest closer of all time. So well, I mean you could dispute that if you want to talk go through the hey, whole Raleigh. I, thing I, again. Hey, 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 <laughs> don't get me started on Raleigh fingers, and don't get me started on the greatness that is Lou Trevino, who did close out his fifth career game. Yep. He now has five saves. <sighs> Lou's Lou's coming for Mo. I mean, there's I mean I saw another guy Dan uh, Atavilla from the. Uh, the Padres pitched last night another member of the PSAC conference. We're taking over Major League Baseball, baby. I believe Joey Wendell's a PSAC guy too, but uh, speaking of Lou, I hope that he can continue the uh, the run he's been on. He's pitching well to start the season. I hope that can continue because if he can keep that up as a ninth inning guy for the A's, that bullpen will look a lot stronger than you know people thought it was going to look, especially with the injury news of Trevor Rosenthal. But I'm glad we honor Jackie Robinson on this day. If you haven't seen the movie 42, check it out. It's an outstanding movie. Um, you know who's in that movie? The late Chadwick Boseman. My grandfather. That's true. He is. So a lot of people, if you don't know this, Jackie Robinson in his very first at-bat, the Brooklyn Dodgers were taking on the Boston Braves. And Jackie Robinson grounded out to my grandfather in his very first at-bat. So my grandfather played against Jackie. Those will be, those will be great stories to have, like, if you're able to ever hear those, like just to hear your grandfather talk about facing Jackie Robinson and just being was like playing in that era, like just hearing any of those stories from the like when when Ray Fossey tells the stories, it's so great hearing the old baseball stories. But those days in the 40s and 50s when the Yankees were winning literally every World Series, uh, those stories would be great to hear because there's so many good players to play during that era. But having that tie to Jackie Robinson with your grandfather is pretty special. Coming up next, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics, right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, it's always better to have the general manager on when you're on a win streak versus a losing streak. You got to be feeling pretty good, David, after what's been happening the past couple days. I don't even remember our last conversation. I don't remember what was going on, but uh, <laughs> but yes, it, it feels it feels like this is a better conversation than the last one. 
Well, you said it last year, ball goes far, team goes far. And it just shows you when the A's, when you guys out-homer somebody, you're 5-0. and When you don't out-homer them, you're 0-7. Yeah, it's not it's not a tough equation. I mean, look, it's obviously not easy to hit homers, um, but but you know when you do and you score runs, it makes it makes a big difference. So we obviously, you know, we swung the bats really well on the road trip. You know, took two out of three in Houston, swept the Diamondbacks. Coming, you know, the win on Tuesday was was a great team win to come back from being down five nothing, put up some runs, get some solid relief pitching. So. It was a, a really good way to uh, to come back home. Yeah, there's so many stories. You know, keeping score every single game. You just see, like, you could just you talk about Guerra, what he did for you in the last game. But when you when you look at your offense, it's everybody is contributing. You just see it. Like, everybody's getting on base. Everybody's knocking in runs or they're scoring runs. They're just it, – it's full – your full roster has really been the big part of why you won five of six, wouldn't you say? Without a doubt, and, and and frankly, it's on the on the flip side, it's the reason we started out zero six because everybody struggled at the same time. So I, I think I think we know we're built in a way that no one guy or two guys even are going to carry us. I mean, we obviously have some guys capable, um, you know, in Olson and Chapman, uh, and to some extent Ramon and and Canna, like guys who are capable of on any given night sort of generating offense, but. I think we know the way this team is built. You're going to have to get contributions up and down the lineup. And, and we just didn't get it during the first homestand. But you saw on the road when, when we put together good at-bats, when you get guys on base and you let, you let Jed or, or Chap drive them in and you, you, know, you get some pinch hitting, you get a couple homers from guys like Seth Brown. Like all these things have to come together. And when they do, you're, you're in every single ballgame. Yeah, Seth Brown, he uh, he doesn't hit cheapies and I and I was I was I was asking around going, how many guys do you even think in the history of baseball they hit their first home run and it's in the second deck? <laughs> yeah, that was a long time coming. I think it was about 2 years worth of built up frustration that went into that swing cuz obviously, you know, Seth came up there at the end of 19 and you know, got some hits and and did a nice job, but this was a guy coming out of the minor leagues and everybody was like, Oh, wait, wait till you see the power. And uh, it just never, it really meant that year or you know, limited time last year. So uh, I think, I think that was huge for him. Uh, we've always known he has a, he has a chance to do that every time he comes to the plate. You know, forget Moneyball. Are you kidding me? You're taking this team back to the 80s like you're the St. Louis Cardinals and you're running the bases and stealing bases. You're 10 for 11. What's going on? Hey, hey, we, we love stolen bases. It's caught stealings that we can't stand. So <laughs> I will uh, I'll take 10 for 11 every time. And, and Ramon's obviously done a great job of picking his spots. And, and he's really, you know, he's studied pitchers and, you know, it's something that he really wanted to put an emphasis on. And if you to go out there and do it the right way, it, it can be a big, big game changer. I it, The fact that you were able to get him basically for nothing, and now he's like a human highlight reel. I mean, you talk about a, a, a guy that can play defense, can hit for power, he's stealing bases. I mean, he's just a treat to watch on a daily basis. He's a well-rounded player. He is. He, he can do a little bit of everything. I mean, we obviously – between him and Mark, I mean, we need to watch their workload. Both guys play so hard, and, you know, we've seen Ramon run into walls. And, and Canna, 
you know, kind of gets on base every night and he's running the outfield. I mean, he's, he's done more mileage than just about anybody in the league uh, here in the first two weeks, but both those guys can play on both sides of the ball and, and are going to continue to be really important here for our roster. I saw this note on Jed Lowry and it's just, it's incredible. He has an RBI in each of the last five games. During that time, he's hitting 474, three extra base hits, and a grand total of 10 RBIs. I mean, this is like, he's about to be 37. He looks like he's 27. Oops, sorry, I lost you there for a sec, Chris. Did, did you hear that stat I gave on Jed? No, that he's going to be 37 years old. That's where I lost you. Okay, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just like, watching what he's doing for you right now, he's off to a better start than when he was an all-star for you. Yeah, he hopped in a DeLorean at some point and, and went back to 2018. It's been uh, it's been pretty amazing. So I, I mean, we're going to talk about this as long as you know, as long as Jed continues to be Jed. But you know, we we felt good that he, you know, that if he was healthy, the, the bat skills were still there, and he certainly has proven that. How do you manage how much he plays? It's a it's a huge part of uh, of every day right now with Jed, and and the nice thing is he knows his body better than anybody you know with all the things he's been through and as long as he's played this game he knows his body he knows you know when he needs a day and and bob's going to check in with him when it's a day game after a night game and plays played three or four in a row all these things bob you know bob and him have such a great relationship over the years that uh the jet will be honest and, and we'll make sure we we do manage him because obviously uh, right now whatever jet we get is is worth it and, and the last thing we want to do is is run him into the ground yeah, and so much is about offense. And there was an interesting article that Cody found today about they're talking about with all the shifts and, you know, the days of having to have the most athletic shortstop. You know, you're moving these guys around. I mean, half the time Elvis is playing in short right field. <laughs> so they're, they're yeah. saying less balls put in play, more shifting. The, the fact of, of the great infield, they're not getting as many chances what, what what do you think about that? You don't you don't have to have the best athlete necessarily like at shortstop because you're moving them all around. Do you buy that? I think there's something to it. I mean, obviously, you know, you're you're not shifting every play. You know, more than more often than not, that guy's going to have to cover a lot of ground. And and frankly, even when we put Elvis out in short right, like you said, he's still you know he still is useful when he goes both directions, but. Um, but yeah, the, the roles of the infield are definitely changing. I mean, we, we see teams, uh, shifting, you know, 60, 65% of, of plate appearances now, and they're, they're moving around chaps playing shortstop a decent amount. Um, you know, so, and, and at some point we're going to have to have a, a, another backup infield around here that's able to move around. So it, it's an interesting theory. Obviously, you know, we're, we're lucky to have guys like Andrus and, and chap who can move around only, Ole's another infielder over there with as much ground as, as he covers. I mean, you see when we shift righties, Ole plays further from the first base bag than just about anybody in the game because because he's able to do it. He can cover the ground, and he's quick enough to get back to first base when the ball goes to the other side. So um, it's nice to have the personnel that lets you do it. So right now you guys are leading baseball and shifting. I think you're around 67% of the time. Is the only yep. reason you can do that is because Matt Chapman can play a legit shortstop for you? It, it's a big part of it. Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, at the same time, 
you know, we're shifting righties probably more than other because we we're confident in the data and the, the defensive models that our, our baseball operations group has built. And, and Mark Kotze, who's overseeing the infield positioning now, really has dug into it and believes in it, and, and, they, and the guys are buying in. So uh, it is, it's big time about the personnel for sure. Like I said, shifting righties is a big, you know, big part of that is only covering most of the right side. Uh, but, uh, but having Chap, who, who's basically a shortstop playing third anyways, but when he's the only guy on the left side, you know you know how much ground he can cover, and he can make those throws going any direction. That, that helps, too. We just had Lou Trevino on the show, and I asked him about all the shifting behind him and everything. Of course, he's just trying to strike everybody out. But what is it like <laughs> when the shift he, – he says when the shift gets beat, it's magnified. What's it like from a front office standpoint when a guy, let's say, hits like a routine grounder to second base and nobody's there and a run comes in? Is it magnified for you, or do you just say, "Nope, we know the data. We know what what shifting does, and we know the data. It works." I, th- I think from a front office standpoint, I think we're we're very comfortable with it, and and we we probably notice more than most when a guy's in exactly the right position. I mean, I can't even I can't even think right now of all the times just this year where Jed's been playing right behind second base and the ball's been hit right to him. I, I think we've done a great job. Look, if Correa is going to shorten up and hit a ground ball through the four hole, like, you know, it's, it's bound to happen. And, and, you know, I'm more worried about what the pitcher thinks than what we in the front office are thinking. I, I want the pitchers to understand that this is a numbers thing. It's going to help them out more often than not. And, and yeah, lose right. It gets magnified when somebody hits a ground ball through a hole, but for every one of those, there's a dozen that go right right to a guy where we put them, and it helps these guys out. Well, think about when we were growing up, everything was have a back-up-the-middle approach, you know, try and hit a line yeah. drive back up, right? That's what every hitting coach told you all your life, and now you smoke one up the middle and there's a guy standing there. A hundred percent. I think about that all the time when I'm watching, you know, watching games that aren't ours and I see a ball smoked up the middle and all of a sudden the ca- the overhead camera pans and there's a guy standing right there. And I think, man, if that had happened to me as a player and everybody, like you said, everybody says, go up the middle, do a nice job and you don't get a hit out of that, man, that, that is frustrating. You know, speaking of Lou Trevino, I mean, obviously when Rosenthal went down, you, you knew guys were going to have to step up. And, you know, Diekman and Trevinos, you know, you know these guys are going to have to close games out. Does, does Lou look different to you this year, kind of like the when he first came up? You know, I, I don't know that he does. I mean, I think he's, he's pitched in some bad luck the last couple of years. His stuff has always been the same. And I think, you know, it, there's, we've, we've talked about this before. There's so little margin for error for a reliever, particularly a guy who comes in with runners on base or a guy who comes in late um, and a little bad luck or falling behind in the count on one guy goes a long way. So, it, look, it's great that he's feeling good right now. Um, you know, you've, in him and, and Jake, you've got a couple guys that can both pitch at the end, and, and we've had, you know, we're fortunate enough right now to maybe do some matching up depending on what the eighth and ninth look like. But, um, but it, it, it it was great to watch him go out those last couple of days and, and close down games. Yeah, I mean, what what you saw two days ago with your bullpen when Lazardo only goes two and two thirds, and you got to use all those guys. How key was it to have a day off yesterday for everybody can kind of hit the reset? And and now, of course, you got the Tigers for four, and then here come the Twins. Yeah, it, look, it was big 
for all those guys to have some success. I mean, obviously, you know, Jordan gets us out of the third inning. Then Guerra comes in to give three scoreless, which was huge. Um, but Caleric comes in, gets, you know, gets a punch out, and then basically two ground balls. Um, and Sergio finally has a, a one, two, three clean inning, and I know he feels good about himself. Sort of all the way up and down the roster, you know, Petit gets away with one that goes just outside the foul pole and then gets us out of that inning. So what we had yesterday was basically a, a marination day for everybody to sit back and, and feel good about themselves, and, and those are always welcome. You know, Bob Melvin said to us that for Jesus Lazardo, he just has to stay away from the, the blow-up inning. You know, 12 earned runs in 13 innings, got a big uh, ERA. What are you seeing with Jesus Lazardo? Well, we saw it in the game against the Dodgers where he gave up the three spot early and then came back and pitched great. And, and yeah, obviously a big inning against the D-backs too. I, I just think for Jesus, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a confluence of things. He's fallen behind in the count a little bit too much. There's, you know, the fastball command hasn't been as good as, as he wanted it. And I know he and Emo talked for a while today about some things. I talked to Bob and Emo after the game the other day. And, and, you know, every time he goes out there, you just feel like this guy's stuff is just too good to give up, you know, give up homers, give up some, some hits like that. And, and I, I think he just needs to put all those things together at once and, and get a good game under his belt. But, um, you know, he feels good. The fastball velocity is obviously there. and I think it's just a matter of time to get him back on track. Let's end on this. The Astros have had a COVID-19 scare. How important is it for you and Bob to stay on the players? I know people are starting to get vaccinated and people want to – they're tired of wearing masks and tired of doing the protocols and everything. But how important is it for you to tell these guys, hey, you, you got to kind of still be in your bubble because the last thing we want is a COVID outbreak. You got you got to stay on top of this. Yeah, it's uh, – look, it, it is a discussion every single day. And I, I know some of those guys are, are tired of hearing from me and from Nick and, and you know, the, the rest of the medical staff is trying to handle it. But you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's something we have to stay on top of. We, we've, you know, we saw the Nationals have a bunch of games wiped out early. Uh, Minnesota had a positive test. Obviously, we saw with the Astros yesterday losing five guys. And, um, it's, it's constantly on our minds. It's something we constantly have to monitor. And, you know, our guys are, are still doing well. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean something isn't going to sneak in there. But, um, but yeah, I wish, I wish it wasn't part of our daily conversation, but it is for the foreseeable future. We'll do the best we can. Great stuff as always. And let's keep this winning streak going. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good, Chris. David Force, the David Force Show, exclusively right here on A's Cast Live and hearing it on A's Cast. Doesn't mean Bob and David can't go on a, you know, a radio station every once in a while. But when you want to hear them weekly, this is the place you have to go. You got to go to athletics.com slash cast. Very insightful stuff from David there, especially talking about the – I was curious to see how he answered the defensive shift question. Uh, David, you, you do shift right. He's second most in baseball, 43.2% of the time. But what are, what, what are the A's shifting? They lead baseball in shift – Percentage, yeah, sixty-four point three percent. And who's is anybody remotely close? Yeah, the Dodgers are at sixty point four, and then followed by the Mets at forty-seven point four. But the Mets only played like six games. Who's the least? Uh, that be the Atlanta Braves, who shift how many times do they shift? Six percent of the time do they shift? Followed by Tony Larusa's 
Chicago White Sox at 14. Hey, hey, hey. Wash is not shifting. <laughs> uh, it's crazy, though, that the Tigers are fourth in shifting. See, Matt Chapman, I, I'll take take Justin Turner of the Dodgers. He shifts because he's not a great athletic. I mean, he's an offensive guy. Let's face it. He's he's probably a year away from being a full-time DH. I'd agree with that. Right? So, here's the deal. They take him and they move him into right field or onto the right side. So, he's part of the group of three. And Seager stays at shortstop. Well, the A's have such an athletic third baseman that he can be your guy that plays shortstop. He's your best infielder. Yeah, by far. So, you're you're able to do the shift completely different than other teams because you don't have to hide your third baseman. Your third baseman's defense is an actual strength. Yeah, and you look at a team like Atlanta shifting the least. I mean, Austin Riley plays third for them or Camargo, whoever they, you want to use a third. It's not like they're using Josh Donaldson or Chipper Jones over there anymore. But with the, with the A's are able to do it. And like, if you look at the numbers, they shift right-handers 43% of the time, like I mentioned. They shift lefties 94% of the time. That's most in baseball. It's not even close. The choice second, it's 77.3. So, and it's working. I mean, I know they're five and seven, but it's working. I mean, I know we're going to probably limit. I know in the minor leagues, they're going to limit the shift coming up in the second half of the season once it gets yeah, started. So, so all minor leagues are just this Atlantic League? No, it's the minor leagues. So the Atlantic League is a whole different thing. The Atlantic League. And that's, we, that's the experimental league. Yeah, we're going to have to get our good friend. We had the, the uh, president, yeah. Rick White. We're going to have to get him on again maybe next week, but – did you see the article about what they're doing in the uh, Atlantic League? Uh, they're going to move the mound back? Move the mound back uh, one foot. So let's, so instead of it being uh, 60 feet, 6 inches, it'll be 61 feet, 6 inches. And they're, uh, I like this one. As Jason Stark calls it, he calls it the double hook. They're going to get rid of the DH. The universal DH goes away when your starting pitcher comes out of the game. So if your pitcher goes five innings, you, the, D, the DH is gone. So incentivizes teams to have their starters go longer in games. So if your guy, if, oh. if you think about it that way, so if, if I was going to say that's stupid. If Jacob Degrom goes five innings for the Mets and they have Universal DH, and well, they, he only goes five. Well, say say bye bye to the. Well then, well then, what I don't like about that is it turns into a National League game. Yeah, well that's why. Which I don't I don't like nationally. I, I like American League baseball better. I don't want to see pitchers hit. Now we're getting back to the dilemma of pitchers hitting if you do that. But I understand what you're saying. You're trying to force the manager to leave his starter in. Yeah, because you sent you sent me a graphic, and I've been looking at this for uh, you know for a while about how many guys go went uh, 200 plus innings. So in 2018, how many guys went uh, 200 innings or more? It was like 12. 13. How many in in uh, 2019? It was 15. In 2004, 42 pitchers went 200 or more innings. So in a, in a span of 15 years, um, in a span of 15 years. The numbers dropped off significantly for how many innings guys are pitching in games. And I get it, the, the game's changed and all that, but the universal DH, like Jason Stark had this in his in his piece. In 2020, the average starting pitcher got a measly 14 outs per start. In, two, in 2010, it was 18 outs. So you're telling me a starting pitcher was only getting essentially – he's essentially going five innings. Okay, okay so, so by that rule, and you're looking at tonight's game, if Jesus Lazardo went two and two thirds, your DH tonight is Stephen Piscotty. So after two and two thirds, 
So if if I go out and I get the starting pitcher, is he a meet? So and what? Let's say the DH is up that next inning. Is he immediately out? Yeah. So the way Stark puts it is. Every team starts the game with the DH. If the starting pitcher goes nine innings, the DH stays for nine innings. So, essentially, as soon as that starting pitcher goes out, I mean, it's gone. I'm, I mean, they're going to have to put in some kind of circumstance that there's an injury. Well, say a guy blows his arm out. After, oh, yeah, yeah. After yeah. two outs, you're taking away the DH. I'm, I'm, if I'm a manager, that's probably going to irk me just a little bit. It's an interesting rule, though. And the, the mouth thing is more because the velocity is so much, so high. Yeah. I think the velocity right now is the highest it's ever been in baseball. It's like 93.4 miles an hour. And the strikeout rates are you know, absurd. So trying to move the mound back, they tried doing this a couple of years ago. They wanted to go two feet, and it didn't, it didn't go through. So doing it one foot to 61, 61 feet, six inches might make a difference. We'll see. This, they, I think the universal DH thing is going to um, start in the second half. Yeah, the second half of the of the season and August third for so, the Atlantic League. Going tonight, Scooble for Detroit. Four pitch mix kind of guy. All right, and then I wonder with him and Casey Mize, who we're going to see Saturday. Saturday, I can't wait. I wonder how much those guys pitched in the minor leagues because I know like Jesus Lazardo, Jesus Lazardo never went long at all ever, and that's the problem with these guys is they get babied in the minor leagues because they're such precious commodities. And they 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 have pitch counts that are like seventy and eighty, and these guys pitch four or five innings and they're out. And that's what they that's what their body learns to do. Casey Mize, the most innings he's ever pitched in the minor leagues, it looks like hundred and nine was his high in twenty nineteen. Hundred and nine. Hundred and nine at third. Well, he was drafted. What his first, he was drafted in twenty eighteen, so that was his first full year playing in minor league ball. And then obviously there was no season in twenty twenty. So he came out of Auburn, number one overall pick in 2018, pitched a little bit, and then he gets a full year last year. These, guy, these guys threw more in college than they did in minor league baseball. Yeah, and I, I'll pull up Scooble and see where he's at. But he's another guy, like, he's a local kid born in Hayward, um, young left. I mean, the Tigers have a lot of young starting pitching they're, they're trying to develop. Mize being a guy, although he pitched really well against Houston. So, I mean, you got something there with him. I mean, he was the number one overall pick. He should be pretty good. Well, uh, you know – Shame on us that we have not talked enough about the new greatest player in the history of baseball, Akil Badu. Yeah, he's having a nice little start to his career. Okay, if you if you don't know who this guy is for the Tigers, then you haven't really been paying attention to baseball. You, you haven't watched MLB Network or you, you haven't been reading up. But he's a Rule 5 draft pick. Which means he's got to be on the roster. If not, he's offered. Who who do you rule five from? Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. They would have to offer him back to Minnesota. Well, Akil Badu has done nothing but hit 370 with four dingers and 11 RBIs. He hit a he hit a home run and the very first pitch he ever saw in baseball. Follows that up with a walk off hit. This kid has been amazing. And if you are just joining us, as Jim Leland told us in spring training, the impressive thing was the way he tracked the baseball. And what Jim say, he only had one like one bad swing. The rest of the time, he was on everything. It's crazy, too, about him. He had Tommy John surgery in 2019 as an outfielder. Didn't play at all in 2020, obviously, because there was no minor league season. He's hitting right now 370 with four home runs, 11 RBIs. That's great. His OPS is only 1,342. Is that any good? I mean, he didn't play last year. I mean, think about that. Not only did he not play, he's never played above A ball. 
Yeah. That kind of jump is is unheard of and throw in the fact that he didn't play. I mean, these minor league guys still haven't played. It's it's going to be what? But if it opens up on time, well, which it's not, right? So it's going to be sometime in May? Yeah, May. So it's supposed to be April. They move to, like, I think, May 6th is when it's supposed to start. So that so that's basically these kids in the minor leagues haven't played for, like, 20 months. Yeah. And you're asking this guy who's never been above A-ball, which A-ball in the big leagues, there's a big, 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 big difference. And – He's. I can't. I can't wait to watch him for four games. Let's see if this thing's for real. Yeah, I agree. And and quickly before we go, uh, what time the, are we out? Well, we got about a minute. The the Tigers before did this with Rick Porcello. He was a guy to pitch in single A, and they called him up. And he had a nice career. I mean, he's been a pretty consistent. He's not pitching right now, but he's had a, con- a consistent career. So the Tigers are known for calling guys up early. He's made a lot of money. Yeah. Well, he won a Cy Young. I don't. I don't know if he deserved it, but he won a Cy Young because he had a, he had a lot of wins that year for Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Because what do you do in this game? You either win or you lose. ERA was a little high. Stop telling me about his ERA plus. Do you win or do you lose? And on the way out, Tarek Skubal had 122 innings pit, 122 and two thirds pitched in 2019. That was his career high. That was it? Yeah. It's a, I mean, we baby these guys. It's unbelievable. All right. We are leaving A's cast live. What are you going to play here? We're gonna, you're going to hear our, our conversation with Lou Trevino from the other day before A's Total Access starts. All right. You're going to hear from Lou Trevino. Then I'll be back with A's Total Access getting you ready for Sean Manaya up against Tarek Skubal. Hayward? Hayward, yeah. Born in Hayward and grew up in Arizona, but born in Hayward. But born in Hayward. He's come back home. Let's make it a rough outing for them. As the A's have won five of six, they've won four in a row. They have scored 29 runs in four games. The bats are hot. We'll see you in 10. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.